And I don't know. I go back and forth. I'm like, are were, were men just like reading things into her that like were never there? Because she does have like boyfriends and lovers who I think who end up legitimately falling in love with her and like really do love her. But she always sort of sacrifices them at the altar of, of Frank and. everyone this is alex and this is em welcome to the latest episode of the good the bad the basic this is a podcast for tv lovers movie buffs and binge watchers of all ages on this podcast we'll be discussing what we loved what we hated and what's just a bit problematic about the tv and movies that we're addicted to and do a bit of rewriting where necessary. For much more exclusive content, become a show producer on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode outtakes, curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join the GBB family at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. Today we'll be discussing the first half of Netflix's trend-setting political drama, House of Cards. House of Cards is undeniably the show that made people sit up and take notice of Netflix's original content. It made the streaming service a true contender among TV networks and drastically changed the way that we consume media forever. So what was it that made House of Cards (laughs) so revolutionary? Stay tuned. So here are some details about House of Cards. House of Cards is a political drama and a political thriller created by Bo Willimon. It was released on February 1st, 2013, and it lasted through November 2nd, 2018. This is a Netflix original, and it had six seasons and a total of 73 episodes. The series stars Kevin Spacey as Francis J. Underwood, a.k.a. Frank, Robin Wright as Claire Underwood, Kate Mara as Zoe Barnes, Corey Stahl as Peter Russo, uh, Michael Kelly as Douglas Stamper, a.k.a. Doug, Kristen Connolly as Christina Gallagher, Sakina Jaffrey as Linda Vasquez, Sadrine Holt as Jillian Cole, Constance Zimmer as Janine Skorsky, Michael Gill as Garrett Walker, Sebastian Arcellus as Lucas Goodwin, Mahershala Ali as Remy Danton, and Boris McGiver as Tom Hammerschmidt. 
So these are our major players. Even some of these people, you don't see them all the time. They will play critical roles throughout the course of the series. So let's jump in, Alex. Take it away. For House of Cards, it was the first big offering, audience-acclaimed offering from Netflix. It also sort of started this whole binge-watching like model and where an entire season would be released at once. Um, House of Cards is adapted. It's, um, it's an adapted television show from a 1990 BBC miniseries of the same name, uh, but sort but set in our government uh, instead of, um, obviously, you know, the Lords and the Tories. I think that's right. So... Uh, when House of Cards originally debuted, I thought it was boring. Uh, I was super bored. Um, and rewatching it, I still think it's a little slow, but I was definitely more interested in it this time. Um, that The opening of it is stunning, I will say. It's a very good, strong, like, opening. Um, I can see why it was bought. Like, those first 10 pages are... Um, great because like if I got a script and in the first sort of like five to ten pages I'm reading about my uh main protagonist is like killing a puppy <laughs> like <laughs> my attention too is like okay you've got my attention like let's go right right I think that opening is very very strong um you know as far as pilots go impeccable so let's jump into that first season. All the seasons of the show have, uh, well, not all of them. Yeah, seasons one through five have 13 episodes, with season six being an eight-episode order, um, because they knew ahead of time that this would be the last season. Um, but in 13 episodes, I think they managed to pack a lot. I'm not even mad at how slow the show is sometimes, because even in that dialogue that might be a little bit slow, they're packing information that will come into play at a later time. So I'm not mad at it because at least it serves a purpose. Frank is someone who we show early on has some sociopathic tendencies. And we meet his wife, Claire. And prior to watching the show, I really didn't know what relationship Frank had with his wife. But in these first few seasons, it's quite clear that there might not be two people on the planet that are more evenly matched um, relationship-wise than Frank and Claire. They are, are truly two peas in a pod. And because they each know exactly who the other person is, their relationship is a lot more honest than most. That is true. Uh, I was like, damn, this is goals for real. There really is somebody for everybody. <laughs> the examination of like their marriage and their relationship is is an interesting one um, that the series... Uh, that we look at and that we observe over the course of the series. Um, and it's not that they don't have other lovers cause like they do. And even Claire, I think is, and I don't know, I go back and forth. I'm like, are we're, we're men just like reading things into her that like, we're never there. Cause she does have like boyfriends and lovers who I think who end up legitimately falling in love with her and like really do love her. But she always sort of sacrifices them at the altar of, of Frank and her own ambitions. And I I guess I'm back and forth of whether, like, did Claire ever 
Like, were the men, were those men, like, reading something into her that, like, wasn't there? Or did she, like, have genuine feeling and affection for them? In first season, we do, we meet, like, I guess, like, one of her, her, the main guys that, like, loved her. Like, one of her lovers. His name is, a.k.a. the photographer. He has a British accent, some sort, or some sort of European accent. I don't know. I don't I don't know how all y'all white people talk. I'm sorry. He has some sort of accent, a uh, European one, and he has very like blonde, frosted, not blonde, but like blonde and salt and pepper hair. He's a very, tra- he's very attractive and he's really in love with her. <laughs> like legitimately, he has like a deep affection for her. They're sleeping together. He's worried about her because he's, he. I guess he worries about her humanity and like, what it means for her to be with Frank and, like, if she's, like, losing herself. Like, Robin Wright is, like, so great in this role. Robin Wright, uh, she's excellent. I don't think that she is as bad as Frank, but she's, like, an 80 to his 100, right? I don't think she's that great either. (laughs) In fact, I think if she were raised as a man, she might be worse than Frank. It's something to be said when a woman who is raised... And like most women are raised to be tender and or somewhat nurturing, still manages to turn out this way. Um, you know, and she's not the only one who sacrificed lovers, right? And I think this is this is worth noting. Frank ain't attached to his people either. Um, <laughs> but I think you know that Frank is not attached to his people. Like that's why I'm always so upset for them. I feel like when men enter into affairs, we expect it to be sexual and not emotional. And when women enter into affairs, we expect it to be more emotional than sexual. So let's take it back to season one and this love of power. Frank starts the series as majority whip by the season one finale has lied, cheated, and killed his way into the vice presidency. What a leap. How did he manage this? <laughs> let's get into it. <laughs> um, well, you have a couple people that were screwed over in a major way. That is um, Peter Russo and Frank's first on-screen affair, Zoe Barnes. The Zoe Barnes thing, how it started kind of never made sense to me because she blackmails Frank with a picture of him looking at her um, ass, but it's like, it's your fully clothed ass in a public space. How is this blackmail material? And I legitimately feel like Frank allowed her to quote unquote blackmail him and like was feeding her information just because he wanted to fuck. Ultimately, the relationship is very symbiotic. What she gets out of it, right, is that she becomes this top reporter. And what he gets out of it is that he's sort of able to feed her whatever information that he wants to get out. And he and he can also dictate how it's going to be spun. It's, exactly. it's a lot of control. It's a lot of power. No, I, I agree with that entirely. She started getting too close, started asking all them questions, and Frank threw her in front of a train. That shit was wild. Well, and let me say something. Like, part of me feels bad for Zoe, then, but then another part of me felt like, honey, what? Because she... <laughs> when she was up in his house trying on Claire's clothes, I was like, oh, babe, you are too close to the situation. Okay, so she saw the line, you guys, and she didn't just jump over it. She leapt and cartwheeled right over it. <laughs> right over it. A <laughs> habitual line stepper. Like, not even habitual, just like... It was never going to happen because you're not Claire, babe. Like, you don't know what she, you don't know what Claire sacrificed. You don't know the things she's done. 
Let's talk about what's his face. Peter, Peter Russo. Peter has to re-earn the people's trust after he screwed them with the closing closing of a shipyard, which Frank orchestrated. Enter Doug Stamper, who is Frank's right-hand man. He gets Rachel, a prostitute that Peter had been caught with before, which started the blackmail in the first place, to get Peter, get him drunk, um, and thus ruin his radio interview the next morning, which distorts his campaign. Peter's sick of this. He wants to confess to everything. But instead, Frank gets him drunk again um, and then murders him in his car via carbon monoxide poisoning in a garage. It makes it look like a suicide. Through this chain of events, he convinces the current vice president to step down and run for governor of Pennsylvania instead. That In that way, he becomes the vice president to the current president, Walker. He got the current VP to run for governor again, which is interesting that I'm vice president, but I would want to step down to run for governor of Pennsylvania, I guess. And then Frank becomes a vice president. Um, The dog, like you said in the pilot, made it clear that this was a person that like he was about that life, basically. So when he does kill Peter the way he kills Peter, is anyone surprised? No. But yeah, Doug Stamper is a, is a character that I thought they did really interesting things with for most of these seasons. And we don't even really get to the meat of him until season two. Anyway, so season one ends with Frank being um, sworn in as VP. <laughs> yeah. So season Crazy. one ends. It's good. I'm going to definitely be grading up for House of Cards because it just generally... Like I said, it's just generally like not my bag. I mean, the only thing that bugs me, I think, about House of Cards is um, all the darkness. It's so dark. But I guess that's how you know it's directed. I guess that's how you know that, like, so many episodes are directed by David Fincher. Because <laughs> of how <laughs> freaking dark it is. David Fincher directed uh, the pilot. He also did, like, a couple episodes. But it's a good. I'm putting it. I'm putting it in the good category. Yeah, I'll put it in the good category as well. Um, I think the characters, even the auxiliary characters, were set up really well. So season two, Zoe still hasn't been hit by the train yet, but it's impending. She, her boyfriend, and her friend Janine, played by Constance Zimmer of Unreal, are all investigating Frank. And um, Doug who has been sleeping with Rachel, the former prostitute this whole time, tells her that she has to move because he doesn't want them to find her and question her about Frank and his shenanigans. Um, So Zoe meets with Frank to question him about Peter Russo. And then he disposes of her quite neatly and quite inspired, I might say, because you don't really have to like you don't really have to, like, cover up much. You don't have to clean up much. You don't have to hide a body, right? Just throw her in front of a train, and that's what he does. It's crazy. Let's talk about Doug for a minute. Doug becomes obsessed with this prostitute girl. Why? Yeah. Um, I mean, I kind of get it. Um, Doug is someone whom, as close as he is to Frank, the, sh- the show, I feel, always hints that there's a brokenness into him, a sort of social dysfunction where he cannot fully relate to other people, um, especially women. This woman, Rachel, is someone who's seen him at his worst because he's ordered her or asked her to do some really morally bankrupt things, right? Um, so he kind of latches onto her. Their relationship is is, you know, it's 
it's both sexual and very paternalistic and creepy at the same time. I think his obsession with her is because he's not capable of having normal ass relationships. But yeah, the whole the whole thing is weird the and it plays out weird random. throughout the series. So season two is when we actually get into the meat of Claire. We learn a few things about Claire. She's had a total of three abortions, though she admits to one um, via rape. And it turns out that's just that's not just lip service. She actually was raped by a uh, college classmate who later became a five-star general. Um, Frank had to actually meddle this guy earlier this season. And from the look of disgust on his face, like he just stepped in dog shit while he was doing it, it's clear that Frank knew exactly who this man was and what he'd done to Claire. And we kind of get to see Claire with the claws coming out a little bit more and more this season, which I really appreciated. That was so unmoving to me. The way it's written, it's like the show makes it more about like Frank and Frank's anger towards the situation because it becomes about his anger. Cause like she, it doesn't even focus on her, like her feelings or considerations about it happening. Like are considered for literally two and a half minutes. And then it's all about like, Frank is so angry that she was raped. Like, Oh, isn't it so terrible how Frank is so angry. Frank is angry. Y'all Frank, look at Frank, be angry. And it's, and then that character and her own sort of trauma is like, then like, okay. Yeah. It fails on both fronts for me. So let's get into some other um, plot points in season two. Zoe, is dead by this point. Lucas and Janine were still digging, but Janine bails on the investigation, rightly so, when she starts to realize just how dangerous Frank is. We have this secret meeting that Frank sabotages with Raymond Tusk, the man standing between him and the presidency. Basically, Frank integrates himself as President Walker's new BFF. Rachel starts seeing a girl because... Doug had her move to avoid being investigated um, or caught by the journalists. And she's living with a, with a woman and living her, her best life. And Doug wants her to break up with her girlfriend. Later on in the season, Frank, Claire, and Meacham have a threesome. That's cool, I guess. We learn that there is a hacker who plays an instrumental role in a later season. But he basically goes to jail for hacking everybody and the season basically closes when Rachel attempts to kill Doug. And the only thing that she did wrong was not double tap. She hit him once and went fleeing instead of hitting him multiple times. And um, President Walker's super naive and Frank becomes the president. <laughs> like, is there a more naive politician on this? I, I felt like this... The whole President Walker thing was so unconvincing to me. I don't think there's any politician on the planet who's this naive. Kind of weird to me how, like, so far, like, Scandal's done it. House of Cards has done it. Um, and I don't think... And West Wing is kind of, like, doing it as well. I think Good Wife is probably the only one that hasn't done it. And even then, it's because it's, like, it's Chicago politics uh, and not necessarily national politics. But all the presidents are dumb. Like, and that's really, like, confounding to me. Like, writers, so far, like, in all these shows, the writers have written the presidents as, like, being really stupid. Right. I don't understand how you got to this level, um, this, like, this position with such naivete, like... 
Like, you it's can't. really, yeah, it's really confusing. But maybe it's real, because, like, I mean, Donald Trump is president, so, like, maybe they're on, maybe they were on to something. I mean, he's someone that I think is, like, legitimately stupid, but, like, is he naive? Does he believe everything people say to him? I don't know. I don't, I don't think that. I think, if anything, he's, like, an overly suspicious, possibly paranoid person. But these people are just like, well, Frank is my friend, and if he said it, it must be true. Like, Pause. Pause. <laughs> do you know anything about politics didn't you lie to get here why do you think everyone else is being honest but um yeah um the zoe doug i mean the rachel doug situation um it doesn't exactly come to a head but we really reach a climax of how doug sees a relationship versus how rachel sees a relationship in this season it's crazy it's 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 gross um doug is a gross character um I mean, he serves a great purpose on the show, but he's, like, a really, like, flesh-crawling character to watch on screen. That plot really bugs me. I'm like, I don't, I don't know, I don't quite have, like, the words right now, like, to, uh, like, to expand on it. But, like, I needed something, and I get, like, what their purpose was, or, like, what they're trying to show me. But, like, I guess that I'm annoyed that I have to see, like, another young woman, like, not brutalized, but, like, just in this thing for, that, like, in service of a man. Like, and and then it's not even, and I don't think that it's particularly saying anything in a larger thematic sense or about the character. And then, and then furthermore, like, I think you could have made that, those same points or gotten what you were trying to, to say about that character in a, in a similar way without having her to be a part of it. Like, there's something hardcore there that really, 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 really bugs. Obviously, like, I'm not an idiot. I understand that Doug catching her and the girlfriend having sex is, like, the catalyst that causes him to freak out. He's angry because, like, he feels possessive. But I'm like, what? Like, but what is that? Like, it's not, is that really serving anything higher, like, in the story? 100% completely about his own need to possess her and we never really dig deep into what that says about doug or how vulnerable rachel is and and how she got to be in this vulnerable place it's just something that happens and doesn't serve the larger narrative at all about frank or claire i as a viewer already understand that doug is a broken person solely by the lengths that he goes to to be loyal to Frank and you could have him interact with Frank and more so to show that versus this whole other Rachel person. I guess what you're saying is they spend too much time trying to showcase Doug's brokenness in a way that, um, that, that demands the torture of a young woman. Yeah. That demands the torture. Of a, exactly. That's essentially what it is. That's what gets me. Like I, you can show me, you can continue to show me how broken Doug is by what you've been doing all along, which is him, which is um, Frank asking him to do crazy shit and then him proceeding to do it. No questions asked. This whole torture of a young woman is completely unnecessary for me to get that point. Right. And it's a continuous thing because 
Um, you know, he sets her up with her own place after Peter Russo dies, but like, she's like Rapunzel, she's stuck in the tower. And then he realizes Zoe and the crew are onto her, so he makes her move. And she's Rapunzel stuck in another tower, and she gets a little bit of happiness with her girlfriend, and he's like, nah, y'all gotta break up. And so he's like, he wants to be her sugar daddy, but he's really her warden. And and it just sucks. And like, listen, I would I would have even preferred... Like, if you have to bring a woman into this situation, because, my God, I hate it. But, like, if you have to do it, um, if you want if you want to give Doug a relationship to further extrapolate on his brokenness as a man, like, at least have it be consensual. Like, you know what I mean? And then have him screw right. it up that way. But, like, this part is, like, it, it, it's a no. It's just a no from me. You know, I, I agree with that. I think if, like, Rachel were a Zoe, for instance, and she'd entered into this relationship consensually with Doug, whether to get information out of him or because she she fancied herself in love, and then we kind of see um, the degeneration of his character over the course of that relationship, it probably wouldn't have felt so meaningless. Even, oh my gosh, what's the name of Peter Russo's girlfriend? Christina? Christina Gallagher, I think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Even if they had had Doug hook up with her, because that would make sense to me, right? Mm Because she's already somebody who, I mean, she was essentially with Peter because, like, she was trying to fix him, right? Yes. And she she couldn't fix him. So it would make sense for her, uh, like, as a character to then, maybe she is into Doug um, and once again, trying to fix him, but she doesn't really understand the extent of that darkness. And even then, and then, and then furthermore, her Christina unknowingly hooking up with the man um, with a man who was instrumental in her lover's death would be so like, Oh, right. 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 I think it put me way more on edge as an audience member to be like, Holy shit, what's going to happen. And it's consistent with the Christina character as well, because like you said, she's already formed a pattern of trying to fix broken men. Yeah, that would have been better. Much more, much better than like, let's torture this innocent girl, because why not? Like, Well, I think the fact that she's a sex worker is supposed to be like, well, she's not an innocent girl, and that's the life, and that's the risk you take. And I think that's why I kind of always feel bad about the Rachel character, because that is the life. And that is a risk that you run that a man like Doug could completely dispose of you and no one's going to come looking. But like, why do we have to see it? Right. Why do I have to see it? And like that, and even that, like what you're saying, that is so ugly to me. Like that, that we're, that once again, like you have a show that is uh, framing sex workers as like not innocent or as like materially like dirty or something or, th- or, or people to be disposed of. Like, let's, let's quit it. <laughs> let's quit right. it with these, with these narratives that we keep putting around these marginalized people. I'm like, that's shit that I'm for real over. So let's talk really quickly about this general person who raped Claire. Something happens where Claire like gets on air and she talks about this rape by this general and another girl, another woman comes forward to say that she was raped by the same general and she comes forward, but something happens and Claire sort of like retracts. 
Claire doesn't like retract, but Claire definitely like retreats into the safety by like saying some sort of spin. And this girl is essentially this other girl that he raped is essentially left to the wolves of, of, of public opinion. Claire uses her essentially to 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 do something. And she she's like left for for the wolves and she's like broken. That was some shit. So, um, and like Claire took basically took me too and made it turned it into me sometimes. Me sometimes. Um, <laughs> she was just like, listen, I'm standing in solidarity with you hoes unless it interferes with my quest for power. Then I gotta go. <laughs> then I gotta go. And it's not that I don't believe it because Claire would do something like that, but damn, that was ugly to watch. It was so ugly. And as I'm like, literally the Underwoods don't love anything or anyone as much as they love power. Like, this Uh, is why um, the Claire character was really intriguing to me because I'd I'd seen very, very few women written so heartlessly. And I'm kind of here for it, um, especially on white women. Um, You know, this idea that every woman is kind and loving and has a conscience. Like, we, we had that with Melly with Melly Grant on Scandal. Like, um, uh, Claire is the opposite of all that. Like, fuck a family and some kids. And fuck Frank, too, if it comes down to it. <laughs> but I also thought, like, because there is a scene, like, after after Claire goes and sees her and sees, like, what terrible shape she's in. And she's in bad shape. Like, she can't leave the house and she's on like 20 different anti-anxiety meds and all that stuff. Claire goes back to her house or her townhouse and she sits on the steps and she calls another woman and Claire has like a, like almost a crisis of conscience because she's like, Oh, like maybe we should leave her alone and da 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 da. Don't worry, Claire, you're a good person. And it's going to be fine. And it, I like it because it really, I don't know. I don't think this was intentional on the writer's part, but it definitely, and Claire even sobs like after she gets off the phone with like this other rich white woman or whatever, uh, about how she feels bad for this girl. Claire like sobs like about it, like that, I guess that she's done this to, to another woman. But like I said, I, it's Claire. I'm very like, yeah, girl. Okay. Um, but, I don't know how I was mad to see her crying because I'm like, if you feel so bad, do something. Those crocodile but, tears don't move me, girl. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. So that's why I think it's interesting because I do think that's very real and indicative of how like rich white women treat everybody else. I agree. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that's very real. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, but at the same time, oh, well, girl, <laughs> like I got to get what I got to get and I got to like, go to where I'm going. Like, I feel bad. Is that not enough? What more do you want <laughs> from me? From me. <laughs> oh, Claire. Oh, yeah. Uh, Claire was like a hyper version of all these white women who don't understand accountability that we have spoken about in previous seasons and in previous episodes. Um, right. There's right. different manifestations of them, but I think Claire is like at the at the top of that pyramid. She really is. She's at the top of that. She's at the height. And... Um, I just like it because I think it's a, it's also like a really indirect, I think, commentary on class, um, as well as, cause the other woman, she did it to the rape victim who is, uh, 
is um, going out of her mind. Um, she did not have like a lot of money. She's middle class. Um, but I, it is sort of also an indirect commentary on class and, and a commentary on um, why white women are very able to check that Republican vote, check that Republican box and then go straight to sleep because ultimately these things don't affect them because of their wealth or like their wealth provides a very thick layer of cushioning against real consequences and real oppression. Mm-hmm. And if they don't go to sleep, they'll ch- they will get up and put on a pink hat and march against the very issues they just voted for. Right. So, <laughs> so that was, I liked that, that I found that interesting. That was, that was really cool to me. So president, so we, so, Oh, oh I was going to say, so Frank, so the president has like a little like Elon Musk friend, but like with like less hair, but basically mm-hmm. he is, he's like the president's friend is like this, this businessman who's trying to get into China and he and Frank, uh, at first, at first, they struggle for um, they struggle for for influence in terms of turning the president's mind. Um, but ultimately, Frank gets him, uh, and season yeah, ultimately Frank gets him, and uh, he and then he also uh, relents to Frank's sort of like machinations uh, with regards to Frank uncovering. Um, this marriage counseling bit and then bringing into, I think, political funds uh, into question. Uh, and Frank becomes, yeah, Frank bumps his, bumps his spot from vice president to president. And that's how the season ends. Um, but season two is good. It's good. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah, other than all the the commentary that we made regarding Doug and Zoe, I think season two is very good. Yeah. Oh, Doug and, yeah, Doug and Rachel, yeah? I'm sorry, yes, Doug and Rachel. I don't know why I keep confusing those two. Yes. They both have red hair. You know, I think that's what it is. Redheads were winning with this show for real. There's usually only one of you if they they get one at all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, yeah. Doug and Rachel's um, storyline I thought was excessive given that, like Alex said, it doesn't really have, and it doesn't have a larger message um, for the audience whatsoever. Um, Despite all of that, I think everything else in season two, especially when we talk about characters like Remy Danton, who had Frank investigated this season, and Raymond Tusk, and Jackie Sharp characters, I, I think uh, it's all, all of it is a good conglomeration of things. We still Luke, we still see Lucas Goodwin digging away at this investigation as well, um, and we get to know some more about the Underwoods's um, proclivities in their relationship and their sex life and the way they feel about each other, um, which I thought was interesting that such reserved people um, would have such an open relationship. Um, yeah, season two was very good. Um, hashtag don't count on these white women <laughs> for real though Um, so season 3 picks up with Frank is the president Um, Doug is actually in the hospital Um, 
Yeah, Doug is in the hospital because of, because, you know, Rachel popped him with the brick in order to try to escape. And he uh, wakes up and is, I think he was, yeah, he was like, I think he was in a coma and he wakes up and he's trying to put himself back together again. Rachel, like a real G and, and a survivor, is out this bitch and um, she uh, leaves and has fled and um, and Claire is named uh, U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, which um, and then there's like a whole thing that happens with like Russia. Russia and and stuff and and yeah and that's where we are yeah so we have a Vladimir Putin cipher on the show um the Russian president is called Viktor Petrov yeah and it's it's literally like Vladimir Putin you guys so I'm gonna I'm gonna alternate between calling him Petrov and Putin for, for the duration sorry I can't keep them straight in my head <laughs> well they might cancel us in Russia <laughs> Is anyone even listening over there? I mean, if you are, shout out. Thank you. Shout I out, appreciate thanks. you. Don't get killed. We got Ukraine um, once, so maybe. Okay. Thank you, Ukraine. Hi, Thank guys. Ukraine. Um, we try so, not yeah. to talk about geopolitics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We really try not to. <laughs> um, so, Frank yeah. wants to, so Frank wants to run for president in the ne- next election because he hadn't run, right? He got this. He got all. He went from majority whip to president from a series of wheelings, dealings, lies, cheats, and murders. Um, but he wants to run. They don't want him to run. But he gets Jackie Sharp on board with a promise to make her his VP. And um, he names Claire's ambassador to the UN, despite the fact that Congress already said no to her. And she tries to get a Middle East oil deal going. Um, there when um, Petrov is no help to Frank, but is shut down by the Russian ambassador. Um, Heather wants, uh, Frank wants to no- nominate Heather Dunbar to the Supreme Court justice so that she won't prosecute him. But then she announces her campaign to run for presidency instead. As the series continues, we realize she made a big mistake by not letting Frank make her a Supreme Court justice. Because he's not one to fuck with. He really right. isn't. Right. <laughs> um... um Doug decides to go to work for Heather since Frank has dismissed him. And the hacker is also working um, with the FBI as part of his deal, the hacker that was locked up last season. Um, Doug goes looking for Rachel so that he can be allowed to leave the country. Um, And um, one of the bigger plot points is that an American citizen is arrested in Russia for protesting gay rights. I don't know why you would go to a country where you have no sovereignty, to protest anything, but okay. Um, Claire tries to work out a deal for him, um, which includes an apology, but he refuses and hangs himself. And I think that's like, that was supposed to serve a bigger message. Um, Claire is uncharacteristically moved by this and um, tells the Russian president, shame on you on national television. And this leads to a beef between her and Petrov that lasts several seasons because he's pissed off that this woman would embarrass him on television. Yeah. So that's a whole thing. Yeah. It's a whole thing. Um, 
uh, Frank gets somebody, a writer named Tom Yates, who won a be- who wrote a bestseller to help him write a book on how America works. Um, Tom writes a book, but it ends up being about Frank and Claire's marriage. Oh, it's like, no, America Works is like his, like, Frank's is like big project. Yeah, yeah, America Works. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Pet Project, the America Works program. Yeah. Um, so he writes a book. It's about Frank's marriage. It's great. Frank loves it, but he's like, we can't use any of this shit. And he fires Tom. Yeah. <laughs> Tom will. Tumble and then tumble be like in the lot, like not in the last season, but he'll definitely show up. Mm-hmm. Like he becomes like an instrumental sort of figure. Right. So Frank is so passionate about this America Works program that he actually, when like Congress refuses to fund it, he raids FEMA's disaster relief funds to get it up and running in DC. Like he he literally steals from FEMA, you guys. Yeah. Like uh, he does Frank just does what he feels like he wants to do. That's that's just what he that's his life. So let's talk about somebody that we haven't quite talked about. Mm-hmm. Um a bit and that is Remy. Remy Danton, I feel and maybe I'm just saying this because I love Mahershala Ali, but I felt like Remy and Tom were underutilized characters. Same. I too feel like he's a very underutilized character. Like in fact, I'm just like, what's his purpose here besides being the black one? <laughs> Right. I mean, he does become chief of staff in this season, but like we still I felt like that was an uh, an opportunity to dig deeper into him that the show producers did not capitalize on. Right. Like we're told like we're like when we're first introduced to Remy, we're told that he and Frank go way back and that to to the point where. He and Frank know so much about each other that, like, Frank doesn't even really fuck with him that deep because he knows that Remy has holds the cards to, like, really fuck his shit up. And that's why he keeps Remy close. Um, but then it's never, like, expound. That's never really expounded on. Which is sad um, because a l- in a lot of ways the show doesn't go into their backstory well enough either. It it puts Remy in the same position as a Heather Dunbar or a Raymond Tusk, like someone who doesn't really have history with him. But you just said that he did. So why doesn't he know more? You understand? Yeah. Like, and I guess that's part of like, for me, that was confusing. Cause it's like, cause I think even when we're first, first introduced to him, Frank says something in regards to, like, I get the sense that, like, um, he and Remy are, like, frenemies. And mm-hmm. uh, Frank even says something to the tune of, um, um, to the tune of, like, Remy's problem is that, like, he always does things for money versus power. Where And he's, like, and Frank is, like, money can go away, but, like, power is forever. So it's, like, but that's never expounded on. And, like, whenever they, like, interact, I don't think we we get that from, like, their relationship. Or, or, and, like, I never 
it feels like there's a lot there and they never expound on it. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, uh, lots of missed opportunities with the Remy Danton character. <sighs> so many missed opportunities. I felt like a rewrite would definitely be in order to make him more integral. Because I, I do feel like they are frenemies. Like, that is what they are for the duration of the show. And, I mean, sometimes in the later season, they shift very clearly into enemies. But for for most of the series, they're frenemies. Right. And then even when that they shift into enemies, like, we see how Frank handles his enemies, right? So, mm-hmm. but you, but Frank never ends up handling Remy, Remy like that. So it's confusing. So I'm like, well, so then what, what is it? Like, what's, what's that thing? You know what I mean? Right, right, right. What is that thing that's preventing you from going there? Like, give, give me just some backstory about why you hesitate with him in a way that you've never done with anyone else. Right. Um, it also, it also bugs because, um, if you're frenemies with Frank or you're, you, you hold so much of his past and his present, um, that he doesn't even want to like, like ruffle your feathers too tough. Like I want to see, I guess I want to see like Remy in action. And then I'm assuming that Remy also plots on in terms of like machinations on the level that Frank does. And we never get to see um, Remy do that. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. Um, the most we ever see, I feel is like back in season two when he and Raymond got together to have, to have Frank investigated. Um, and we never really got to see much of the thought process behind that either. Other than Frank's a problem. We need to expose him. Right. And then, and I, and it really bugs because it's like, and then the reason why that bugs and why all these things are annoying is because (laughs) you could have spent really great, interesting time working on and developing those things. But instead we were like, but what about this prostitute, this girl in the desert though, that Doug is obsessed with. (laughs) Doug, Doug, Doug. Right? Like, I just think about all that time we spent, (laughs) the series spent on, like, that, when it could have been doing this way more interesting thing. Right. And I mean, like you said, we could have used a Christina Gallagher character to explore Doug's brokenness. And there's another character um, whom we utilize in later seasons that Doug has a relationship with. And, you know, we could have we could have explored that with that character, not necessarily with Rachel, but... You know, it is what it is. I would have been fine with never seeing Rachel again after um, she got Peter Russo loaded and he ruined his campaign. I would have been fine with that being the last time we saw her. And then maybe we see her again in like season six and she's moved up and she's like some congressman's new sugar baby or she's someone's starter wife, um, some politician's starter wife. Or even if like... um they ultimately use her to bring Frank down. Like we just, they just find her to testify. Right. And the very last, like, that's fine. Like maybe cause that, that was also my thing too. Cause I'm like, if she's a sex worker, like she's probably very good at hiding. Like it's weird that they find her so quickly. Like, um, I feel like it would probably be really hard um, and if she knew that she was caught up in something this dangerous, I would expect her to, like, bury herself to the point where, like, she would never be found. Um, right, right, right. Um, I feel like she was taking a lot of 
of of risk. I mean, I understand from the standpoint of someone who is more or less imprisoned by Doug that she she got really really sloppy with how she handled things. But yeah, I didn't. I I thought the way that they handled her was so unnecessary and a little bit well, not a little bit a lot cruel. Right. Um, so, but anyway, season season three is um. It's fine. Uh, well, what else happens in season three? There's like a um, lot of stuff, but yeah, I'll I'll just talk about some of it, and we can like talk about whichever ones are most interesting. Um, hacker guy is hired by Doug. He finds Rachel's ex girlfriend and pretends to have get this AIDS to get her to open up to him, and he finds out that Rachel died in a fire in New Mexico, or at least that's what he tells Doug that Rachel died in a fire. Um, Remy Danton resigns as Frank's chief of staff and he and Jackie, who'd been having an affair, start up their affair again, even though she is now married. Um, Heather is in the lead in the presidential run, but Frank is gaining some ground because the people love Claire and they also loved his America works program. Doug finds out that Rachel's still alive. He kidnaps her, and after some internal conflict, which I feel was so gratuitous, um, he kills her and buries the body. Frank wins the Iowa caucus, and Claire tells him that she's leaving him. So this show, like, so I'm not gonna lie, this is the first show that we've watched that I think I'm very, like, I don't know, I'm, like, questioning myself in terms of, like, my tastes and what I like and what I don't like and, like, my instincts, because I really don't find any of this show that compelling. <laughs> like, I think it has its moments, um, and I think it's fine. Like, everything makes sense, but there is nothing about it that, like, to me, uh, where I'm, like, it deserves, like, because I, and I just think about like the context around it, how like people hyped this show so high. And there's nothing about this show that like makes me feel like it deserved that like so far. And I'm what, and I'm so, I'm so, I'm very like, now I'm very like self doubt and questioning like, is it me? Like, because <laughs> everything about the show is like, okay, fine. <laughs> like, it's fine, I guess. So I, I don't know. And I'm like, am I too stupid? Is that it? Like, am I not smart enough to get it? But I don't think that's it. I really don't know. I don't know. This show's got me. This this third season for me straddles the line between good and basic. Um, the show overall, I think, is well done. It's well performed. Um, save the Rachel character and the way that she was handled. It's generally well written. But I also know that I am not a fan of political shows. Um, this is why I didn't watch House of Cards or The Good Wife or West Wing prior to the season. Like, I just have no interest in mm. government and politics. So I'll watch it and I'll give credit where it's due. But, like, on purpose for fun? No. <laughs> See, and that's the thing. I actually really, I really enjoy political shows, but like, I don't enjoy this like at all. Like, it's, it still feels slow to me. Like, it still feels kind of boring. Like, I'm not, I'm, I guess I'm just like, eh. like that. Yeah. Like, it's, it's very like, for me, it's like very like, eh, this is a thing that we did, I guess. Like, congrats. Um, and I'm, 
And now I'm I'm very like, I'm like, oh no. Um, Kevin Spacey as a leading man in a 90-minute movie is very different than Kevin Spacey as a leading man in a series. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, um, also he sucks. He's a predator. Knowing that, like, sucks. Like, watching it does not inspire, like... I think that's another thing that that bears um, reflection as well is that he's not just a predator. Um, he's not just a creep. He plays a person who is a predator, predator and, a, and creep a creep on the show. <laughs> right, on the show. So now it's like, wait, what? Um, how much of this is acting, fam? <laughs> how much of this is acting? Um, but yeah, I I'm still like... I think I'm still firmly, like, team this show is boring. Like, what is it, I guess, for me that I think is missing from from House of Cards? Because I definitely... Because for me, at least, there it's something. And I'm choosing to believe in myself. <laughs> and, I'm choosing to, and I'm choosing to trust my instincts. Um, because there is something about this show that, like, it lags... It... I don't know if it's, like, the continual darkness of, like, the show. Just, like... And I mean, dark, not darkness by like the, the plot or anything, but like the actual, the show is actually dark. Um, the frames is like, are, I mean, you have to turn your brightness up to like 30 on your, when you're watching it. I don't know if it's the actual darkness or the pacing or the fact that I feel like I don't know what's going on with these auxiliary characters. I feel like they're just there, but I don't feel like. I'm learning anything or like they're serving any purpose just or that they're serving any purpose. They're just there. Um, but there is something about this show that, that for me doesn't work. I mean, I know what, what doesn't work for me besides the gray and the darkness that you're talking about, which who decided that white people of all people should be filmed that way. <laughs> they all look sick. Um, they all look sick, but I think the besides cinematography and that, very questionable decision. Um, the thing that keeps it away for like from from being truly enjoyable for me is I think the the story is too self-contained. Everybody is sort of in Frank's orbit, but it's not even like they're orbiting around him. They're being pulled into him with this gravitational force um, where um we don't really get to explore other characters and other situations. Um, in a way that I might enjoy. Like, I never get really a chance to, like, to to see some of the supporting characters in the Frank Underwood story really, really shine. Um, it's just it's just too much. Um, from you know what? And it just feels like a manifestation um, 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 of all the things the Underwoods wanted and not really a story about anyone else. That's That's probably it. That's true. That's definitely it. Um, Cause in every show you have your lead, right? But there, but you, I mean, chilling adventures being proof positive of this, right? You have your lead, but the characters around them are way more enjoyable than your lead. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have their own self-contained lines that are, that are prominent enough for you to follow, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I feel, yeah, I feel like House of Cards doesn't have that. Like, and that, and I think that's what I was trying to get 
to earlier. I was like, we have these auxiliary characters, but they never do anything for me to like be interested in them. Right. And I think they tried to make us interested with Doug and Rachel and um, Remy and Jackie, but focused on the wrong ass shit. It's not interesting, fam. Um, it's just that not. Um, so yeah, season three. What's what's your grade for season three? Mine is like, yeah, I think it's basic. I think I'm gonna go with my gut and say basic. Yeah, for me, it straddles the line between good and basic. Um, and the reason why I haven't graded the show more harshly than I have is because I'm aware of my own bias against political shows to, to begin with. Um, but yeah, um, if any cinematographers and directors out there. Please stop making these white people look ashy on screen. Thank you. I know. And there you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made the first half of House of Cards good, bad, basic, and very noteworthy. If you'd like to check the series out, House of Cards can be found on Netflix. Please let us know your thoughts on this series via our Twitter or Instagram. If you're a GBB patron on our top two tiers, be sure to check out our House of Cards Spotify playlist. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic, be sure to share it with your friends. Tune in next week when we'll be concluding our discussion on House of Cards and discussing the back half of the series, seasons four through six. The episode goes live next Thursday. In the meantime, Alex and I have another movie review ready for our top tier patrons, featuring the lesbian rom-com and cult classic, But I'm a Cheerleader, starring Natasha Leone and Clea Duvall. Our review goes live this Saturday, and if you'd like to watch or re-watch this movie before then, But I'm a Cheerleader is currently streaming for free on the Vudu and Tubi apps. Follow The Good, The Bad, The Basic on all major podcast platforms to listen to all of our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. Please follow us at Good Bad Basic Pod on Twitter and Instagram to get in on our daily content. Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash good bad basic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Until next time, bye everyone.